Hi, this is Laura McCarry at The Hidden Edge. And this is Nigel Davey from SME Needs. And this is one of our 10-minute business podcasts. Today, we are talking with Steve Sullivan of Channel Doctors about omni-channels and connecting with your customers. Steve, welcome. Sophisticated technology and massive customer data offer many and new opportunities to change customer experience for the better. Me, I've just come back from Japan where I really felt at the centre of every experience and I never really get that in the UK. Steve, I know that you've worked in this industry for just about forever. Indeed, you're the Deputy Chair of the Data and Marketing Association's Contact Centre Council, aren't you? Tell us, what do you do and how you can help us connect better with our customers? Yeah, it certainly feels like it's been forever at times, Laura. Um, Yeah, so to my thing, Channel Doctor's thing, is about how organisations attempt to interact with their customers. And that often involves having a contact centre operation, even if it doesn't call itself a contact centre. Not everybody wants to work in a contact centre. Um, sat in the middle of things. Now, when I started doing this 20 or more years ago, contact centres were organisationally remote. They might have been handling brochure requests. It's a long time ago. Engaging in unsophisticated telemarketing. So classic direct marketing, throwing mud at a wall and seeing what sticks. Um, but they could be largely ignored. They're obviously often physically remote um, and they weren't really integral to what the business was trying to achieve. Now, nowadays, things are very different. Um, people who work in contact centres and manage customer interaction have got very complicated, sophisticated roles. They're often managing multiple communication channels. We're going to talk about channels later. Um, and really, they're often the repository of business and process failure. So when people in organizations sit in workshops and describe wonderful self-service customer journeys, whenever they fail, they're almost certainly going to end up in the contact center, dealing with the people who are managing the front line. So what I try and do, what we try and do, is to get things right, or at least better, uh, by trying to make things simpler for customers. Now, to do that, that often means that what I have to do is delve into the incredible complexity that sits around most organizations' management of their customers. They might have resellers, they might have agents, they might have white label deals, they've probably got a different payment platform that they don't understand. Delivery and fulfillment almost certainly is going to be done by the organization themselves. They might have service providers who do service and post-sale support. It's really complicated. Um, but customers don't need to know that. And dragging customers into your world of complication isn't going to help. Steve, thanks for that. Um, could you tell us a bit about I suppose, the different multi-channels that, that we might consider adopting and what I suppose the pros and cons are of each of them? Yeah, certainly. Um, so just in sort of terms of definitions, um, you know, we, we've talked about omni-channel. We often hear about multi-channel. Some people talk about opti-channel. Um, but essentially, what omni-channel is about is for the customer it's allowing them to communicate with you across whatever platform or communication channel they want to use. There aren't many people left who are email people or chat people. It depends where you're doing, what time of day it is, what the situation is. Um, and the key thing in achieving omnichannel communication for the customer is not having to repeat yourself. So um, if, like me, your BT broadband 
goes down regular as clockwork every six months, you might find yourself logging into your BT account and going into a chat where you have to re-identify yourself and then sometimes even getting into it, transferred from one chat queue to another and the second chat queue person, agent, then asks you to re-identify yourself, which is really frustrating. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> and it's so common. And again, 20 odd years ago, we were talking about that not having to be the case. And for most organisations, most of the time, that's still the case, um, which is often to do with the curse of legacy. Um, you know, people like BT have got lots of overarching interacting systems and they have to layer on new systems when they go into new channels or have new products. And it's a very difficult task getting those systems to talk to each other, um, which also makes it difficult for the employee. Um, so you might be able to uh, manage eight different communication channels, but it's a big ask to ask an individual to manage eight different communication channels. Um, sometimes it's almost too easy to open yourself up to talk to your customer across these different channels. You probably need to think of what the impact is on your staff and your employees. Um, so, you know, as ever, it's often a lot easier if you start afresh. So lots of new startup organizations will say, well, actually, you know, we're not going to have a phone channel um, because we're online. Why do, why do we need to talk to people on the phone? Now, some of them, people like Boohoo, will eventually yield and open up uh, phone communications. But others will just say, well, we'll stick on social because that's where our customer base is. If you start off like that, it's a lot easier. If you've been going for 10 or 20 years and everybody knows your phone number and your phone number is in their mobile phones, it's a lot more difficult. So I think what I'm saying is um, that a lot of getting customer engagement right is actually more about following your customer than leading your customer. Because there's been such a proliferation of communication channels. Um, you know, if you've got teenage children, you probably find it's really hard to get hold of them because they're in a different world. They might have a mobile phone, but they're not using their mobile phone to call you or send you text messages. They're on a social media platform. You probably don't know what it is. You've mentioned data there. What are your top tips on managing all that personal data that you collect about your customers? That's, that's a great question, Laura. Um, and I think um, there's a lot of people out there who seem to think that GDPR and all that stuff, that all finished in May 2018, didn't it? I think the key thing, the key consideration around the use of personal data is, do I need this? Do I need it? What am I going to do with it? How long do I need to keep it for? And uh, unfortunately, although a lot of organizations kind of um, inadvertently destroyed their prospect databases, uh, in the run-up to GDPR Day. Um, what that did teach a lot of organisations is actually the data they held wasn't that great. And they might have had a vast prospect database, but it wasn't responsive. They didn't really know much about their prospects and their attempts to engage with those people um, wasn't very insightful, wasn't very effective for the organisation. So I'd say that's probably the key consideration is, do I need this data? Um, and I think the other thought that I've got is um, when people have become more aware of their data rights, and I think the jury's still out as to whether there's going to be a big backlash against big data and whether people are going to become much more aware of how their personal data is used by organisations. Um, but when they want to have a question or want to exercise a right or want to understand what data's held on them, they'll generally be talking not to the data protection officer, if an organisation has one, but to somebody in the front line, a contact centre agent, possibly somebody who's 
in store, in the field. Um, and often I think organisations get themselves tied in knots and I think that those people need to be uh, highly qualified in data protection law. I don't think they do. Uh, frontline people aren't experts in IT. They aren't experts in logistics, but they have to handle lots of questions about things which are around systems not working, deliveries not arriving on time. And I think just having a, a general understanding of data privacy and what it means is really important. You can train that. You don't need to train people to be data experts. Thanks for that, Steve. We sort of touched on engagement in quite a few of our podcasts recently, but not really in respect of customers. So we'd love your thoughts on, on how our listeners might take, I suppose, some positive action in this area. I think every organization wants to engage better with its customers. But most small businesses do that naturally and instinctively. Um, certainly if you're in the realm of the sort of the um, owner manager, then depending on the type of organization, the type of business, they probably retain in their heads an awful lot of knowledge and insight about their customers and their preferences and what interests them. Um, and they also tend to do it very authentically. So if you want true customer engagement authenticity, then go for a drink in a grumpy landlord's pub. For a long time, I've been interested in behavioral economics and behavioral science. And behavioral economics is all about understanding how the psychological and the cultural and the emotional factors influence economic behavior. So simply put, we don't all buy the best thing at the cheapest price. There's lots of academic research, but it can be, a lot of it can be simplified down to um, why do people do things? Well, people do things normally because there's a, an incentive to do it. If they don't do it, it will cause them some discomfort or harm. Um, and it's best to keep things simple. We all have complicated worlds. All our businesses are complicated, whether they're big or small. Um, we, from the inside, know an awful lot about how difficult things can be. Um, what we have to try really hard to do, and it's a challenge, is to not bring that to your customer engagement because you want to keep it as simple as possible for the customer. So an example um, is that um, the guys work with over the summer, they did some work with um, a, a tram company um, around fare, fare dodgers. And they looked at the website and on the homepage of the website is a, a button to allow you to appeal uh, your fine for fare dodging. So they said, well, why don't we just put a button that allows you to pay your fine when you've dodged your fare? That's a lot easier to do. That seems like the thing that the organization wants you to do. As a customer, if you've not paid your ticket, it looks like the same. So now appeal. So people tend to do what's the easiest cause for them to follow. Um, I had an email the other day from Hastings, who apparently insured my car, I can't really remember, telling me I should download their new app. They didn't say why I should download their new app. Why should I? How's that going to help me? Um, in the same way that it doesn't help me to be told that my call is important to somebody when I'm in a queue or when I'm in a queue because I haven't been able to do something myself, be told, did you know you could do such and such online? Well, probably if I could, I'd be doing it rather than sitting in a queue. So a lot of this stuff is just turning things around and trying to think about things from the customer's perspective. They might want to engage with you, but they probably don't want to engage with you because you want to engage with them. It needs to be a two-way process. Um, and I had a really interesting example of this the other day, um, that Yorkshire Building Society have done something I've never heard of, and apparently their technology provider struggled to do it, but actually it's quite simple, is when people are in a queue for the call centre, to allow them to turn the music off. And people from my world think it's really important to play music 
so that people know they're still in a queue. You may or may not give them the irritating messages in between, but keep playing the music. And research shows that a lot of people hate in-queue call music. That's a very simple change, but it just empowers the customer a little bit, which makes them probably less annoyed by the time they finally get through to your agent to talk about what their problem is. But there's lots of little things you can do, and a lot of it is around just looking at the world as a consumer, and we're all consumers. I love those stories, Steve. They, they really resonated with me. It would be fantastic if our listeners can make contact with you if needs be. How might they do that? As part of my uh, mantra of simplification, uh, we started producing a monthly newsletter about compliance and regulation, which some people found quite useful. So again, if anybody's interested in receiving that, it's free. Just drop me a line to hello at channeldoctors.co.uk and I'll add them to the list. Okay, so that's me, Nigel Davy from SME Needs. And me, Laura McHarry, at The Hidden Edge. Do make contact with any of us for sound business advice whenever you feel you need it. Oh, and don't forget to comment on or like, follow and share this podcast. Mm-hmm.